0: Welcome. This is Tara Nutt, Director of Child Development Services with the Braille Institute. We welcome you here tonight for the Dr. Bill Telephone Series. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Tonight's topic is you get to ask Dr. Bill questions. Um, First up, we um, have Mackenzie on the line and because she's a busy mommy, we are going to take Mackenzie's call first. And then for those of you, if you would like to ask a question, up at the very top, you will see a happy face and a hand. And if you click on that, you can raise your hand, and I will call on you if you have a question. Thank you. Now I will hand it over to Mackenzie.
1: Hello. Thank you, Karen. Um, My question is, um, so my son has bilateral cataracts, and retinal detachment. Uh, regarding so, per uh, my eye specialist, said that cataract on him should do not have to be taken out. Uh, and I was wondering, uh, Doctor Bill, is is there any cosmetic surgery that can be done to? Be able for him to you know just have normal uh, quote unquote normal looking eyes as us with what he has is his eye condition
2: yes that's a very very good question and uh, how old is your son now Mackenzie
1: he is 19 months
2: okay and is one of the things that you observe that when you look at him the pupils of his eyes are they sort of yellowish instead of black, or what do you see that looks different?
1: That they're, they are—they're black, um, not yellow. But when I see him, because he has nystagmus where repetitive moves, eye movement, yeah. it, so his eye like kind of moves up, where ours, what I would would think is just looking straight um and mm-hmm. not moving for' cosmetic purposes just having um them look straight and fun not to move, move as repetitive I guess or because it goes all it always moves up the the people
2: yes, and when his eyes do move up. Do both eyes move together? Because sometimes for some children, it may be that one eye moves up and the other doesn't. And then the other eye moves up and the other doesn't. They don't necessarily move together. Or do they move simultaneously? Both of them are up and then straight, then up, and then straight.
1: I have observed that it's... Sometimes they both go up at the same time, and then sometimes one goes up and one goes to the right or to the left.
2: Okay, okay. Yeah, that is a a condition that is called nystagmus, and the nystagmus is very, very common if a person, it could be a child or an adult, if they do not see anything at all and it is more common if it is uh, a child who was born with reduced vision. Now, what we find is that in some children, as they grow older, they learn to control that. They could actually try to feel how their eyes are pointing and they can learn to move their eyes in different types of directions. We also find that, you know, there are situations in which the ophthalmologists, who are, again, the eye surgeons, they may actually do surgery so that the eyes are not moving as much. So I have had some children where the movement of the eyes were just so much that it was very, very distracting to the family to look at this little girl. So the doctor says, well, I can do this type of surgery, but it is not going to help her to see. It's only to reduce the movement of the eyes in that way. And the family stated that they really understand that this isn't intended to improve the vision, but it's intended to reduce the nystagmus movement. And the surgery was performed, and it was very, very, very successful. Now, another thing that you had mentioned is the fact that your son has the cataracts, and the retinal detachment and uh, yeah. at what at what age did they detect the retinal detachment, and has there ever been surgery to reattach the retina mm-hmm. anything to reattach the retina because
1: they uh, the time that they detected it was about four months
2: okay So
1: uh-huh. when they have to when he has to track objects and he wasn't tracking objects even after he was when he was born they didn't find anything they didn't know anything they said oh he's just a normal baby and um he was in the NICU for hypoglycemia for a week and Nothing was found, and then four months he wasn't tracking objects. And I said, you know, let me take him again to the pediatric, and they they saw him um, with the light that he wasn't reacting to it. So then they sent me to the eye specialist, and uh, they said that he had cataracts and retinal detachment. There was no point in between that they said, oh, it's, um, I detected it earlier and maybe we can do something about it, um, with reconnecting the retina. Um, they said, they showed me, like, a picture saying that there was, like, this very small tissue and kind of, like,
0: repairing, uh,
1: very intricate surgery that, um, it doesn't seem
2: possible for us to reconnect the retina. It's just gone. it just ripped. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, in cases, if they had performed a surgery to reattach it, I would then say at that point in time, if it were my son, I would want the cataracts removed.
1: So I explained... Oh, I try to um, advocate for that. I said I, I really want the cataract to be removed, and they said um, the scarring on the microscope um, was so much that that they wouldn't that they wouldn't uh, give him any vision. And I said I understand that, but I I kind of want the cataract. To read, remove, because from my understanding of other, you know, people was that later on that they would want the cataract to remove, be removed as adults. So I said, well, why not now? That was my thinking.
2: Yeah, I think that what it sounds like is when the retina tore and detached, There's a lot of scar tissue under that area, and so the the prognosis of that retina functioning to see, Mm -hmm. I think that they feel it's not good at all.
3: Yeah. And so I
2: I believe that they just feel it's not going to be of any benefit for him to have the cataract surgery and that they don't want him to go through with that. But I would yeah, say a couple of things is that there are so many different types of advances in research. And if there is something that comes along for the retinal detachment, I think that would be the time that we would also want to have the cataracts removed so that we can have the most light entering his eye and to focus the light onto the retina as sharp as possible to give that best chance for vision. And even when they're talking about in the future, there's going to be artificial retina. And that type of prosthetic retina is something that I think would also benefit to have the cataract removed. So as far as removing the cataract, it is a a a relatively simple, straightforward procedure where the ophthalmologists are able to do that really very, very quickly and very easily. Whereas retina surgeries are going to be, you know, a hundred times more complex. So I think that. Right now, that's what they're saying, is that it's it's too difficult to be doing any types of surgery on the retina with all that scar tissue, but we want to just keep in touch with the Department of Retina. And uh. at Children's Hospital, and I think we want to keep up to date on any of the new research that's going on uh, to help kids who've had a retinal detachment.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, yeah. I have a, an appointment with them on Monday.
2: <laughs> oh, you do? Okay, good. Who is the retina person you're seeing over there?
1: Dr. Nigel.
2: Okay. Good, good. And then uh, are you able to communicate pretty openly together there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Well, it sounds like you know, as we were talking before, you have him in all of the correct programs. He's in occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy. Then he has the services from Patty of the Braille Institute. Um, boy, this this is this boy. He's a little movie star. He's getting it all. Really, really, really great!
1: Thank you. Thank you,
2: Mackenzie. Do you have any other questions for anybody else on the program here too? I don't know if you've ever met Dr. Diane Christian. She's a psychologist.
1: Yes, I've spoken to her.
2: Oh, you Mm -hmm. have? Okay,
3: (laughs) that's good. I remember. Oh, do you? Uh huh.
1: (laughs) Hi, Diane.
2: Hi. Well, Mackenzie, I have to ask you this then. Have you met Dr. Christian's husband yet?
1: <laughs> no. No, I don't think
2: so. <laughs> okay. You have to meet that guy. Keith, Keith Christian, he's a teacher. I yes. don't remember what school is he teaching at. Um, he's at Clare Barton. He's at an elementary school in
3: Anaheim.
2: And he is the greatest teacher for students with low vision. And when oh, I,
3: wow. <laughs> I think so, but I'm biased.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and when I began to lose my vision, I, I was an adult. I was already a doctor. And I went to Keith Christian. He was my patient. I said, I need some help. I, I can't. I can't do anything. I don't know how to do anything without my vision. And he then said, sure, I'm coming over. <laughs> and he, he he helped me to learn to walk with a cane, and I was learn, learning to able to learn to use the computer with speech. But the best thing about him is that he is funnier than heck, and he likes to go out to eat. So he's my kind of guy. <laughs> so, so I hope that you will meet Keith one day. He, he'll be very, very helpful.
1: Yeah, yes. I was I was actually looking for resources um, after um, the age of, you know, school age and where to get that in, in Orange County because I didn't know any. Any schools that had a.
2: You can hear him. He oh, has <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a
3: question. <laughs> yeah,
1: schools that are appropriate um, that have a vision, uh, a low vision class, I didn't know of any um, classrooms. And. So that
2: really helped uh, Dr. Bell. Okay. Well, if you get in touch with Diane. Okay, yeah, we can talk Pat- more about that,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, Patty, get in touch with Diane, and then we'll get you in touch with uh, Keith, and we'll figure out what would be the best. But I-, I think that little boy is probably hungry right now for dinner. So <laughs> do you have any <laughs> <other> questions, Mom? <laughs>
1: Um, that would be yeah. thank you very much and um I will see you soon um on the next- next month
2: <laughs> okay, that sounds really good. It's really great to meet you and keep up the great work okay
0: thank you thank you for all your help
2: okay bye-bye nice
0: meeting you Tennessee. nice meeting you bye
2: <laughs> oh my gosh I mean, isn't that just amazing? What an amazing mother. Ah, she, she seems so calm and she does all of these things, but she still is going to school to get her masters. (laughs) Boy, I, I, I feel like I better get to work and do some more work. (laughs) Let's see. Does anybody else have a call there? If not, I I have some questions that I receive by email.
0: Oh, great. Okay, um, I I don't think we have any other questions um, okay. unless one of the consultants wants to ask a question.
2: Well, let me go ahead and I have an email and this email comes from. Uh, a father and a mother, and, uh, I have known them for many, many, many years. And they have a boy, and I'm gonna make up his name. And this little boy's name was Donnie. It is Donnie. So, uh, Donnie is the third child, and he was born but when he was born, he had some complications with breathing. And that affected his motor control. And he was subsequently diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And similar to this case, as he was getting older, they then noticed that he wasn't making eye contact with his mom and dad, he didn't look at toys, and he sort of just turned his head to the side and did not look at objects. So the parents are are really very, very, very motivated parents, and they went to many, many different eye clinics throughout the United States. And they eventually, they made it to us at the Center for the Partially Sighted. And when I evaluated this little boy, Donnie, I had realized that he truly wasn't seeing things properly. His visual reaction time was very, very slow. In other words, when I showed him a very colorful toy that illuminated, it would take him a good five seconds to respond to it. And when you see that type of a delay in the response time, what that's really telling you is that it is taking time for the optic nerve to send that visual information from the eye to the brain and also it has taken time for the visual regions of the brain to send the electrical signals to the muscles of the eyes so that the eyes will then move we also then performed other types of tests and we found that his clarity of sight was very, very poor. His sight was 20 over 800 when we used the special teller cards for for very young infants. We looked at his uh, peripheral vision and we found that he had reduced peripheral vision On half of his visual field and that explains why he would turn his head he would turn his head towards the visual field that he could see so that behavior essentially made it so that he would not see things in front of him at all but when he turned his head towards his left shoulder he could see things that are on his left. And so when he was sitting at the table and his head is turned left, he was really only seeing things that were behind him. He didn't see everybody else at the table because he turned his head to the left and he only used that purple vision which he had. So with all of these particular types of visual problems that he had there, we realized that this is going to be a case that we want to provide visual stimulation for him. And with his parents being so driven and so motivated to help their son, I thought that this is something that we will be able to do it But we have to really forewarn the family to let them know there is no guarantee that this treatment program that we're recommending is going to improve his vision. We don't know. Maybe it will improve 10%. We hope that it will improve much more. And I explained to the parents that this is something that's going to take time. I would anticipate, you know, five years for us to really start to see some improvement in the vision. So they said, yes, we understand. We will try anything. We will try anything. And the Father, he is just really an amazing man. And he says, you know, I guarantee you, Bill, I'll come home from work every night and I will work with him. On the weekends, I will work with him. And during the week, we'd like to hire somebody. I think it'll be better if we hire somebody. So if you could recommend somebody, we'll pay them. They could come to our home. And I think that's going to be better. Then my wife trying to work with him. Because I think my wife might get a little bit impatient. So anyways, we went through the whole thing. We, we, we provided him with vision stimulation glasses. And the purpose of that was to first stimulate his central vision. We really wanted to get the visual clarity to be higher than what it was. And then we, we later did a lot of activities to increase his peripheral vision on the right side. And before long, we would see a difference because his head wasn't turned as far to the left as it was before. And by one year time, his head was straight. And then by two years, we found that his vision improved to 20 over 200, which was really a significant improvement. And now that he was getting older and his cognition was really beginning to develop, we said we're going to really do a lot of things to work on his clarity of sight. And he loved video games. So we were using things like the portable video games and such. And this boy, Donnie, he was so funny, too. I don't know if I've ever seen a kid like him, but he would come into the office and he would open the door... He would say good morning to each staff person. He rec- remembered their name. And he would come to me and said, Dr. Bill, you're fired. Go home. You're fired. <laughs> and he loved to fire me like that. But we would do all these different types of activities and things. And he was really bright. He learned the alphabet. He's able to recognize numbers. And by the time that he was five years old, his vision improved to 20 over 80. And this was really major because we said, well, at 20, 80, he is going to have the clarity of vision that he could see things written on the chalkboard and his peripheral vision improved, his depth perception improved. And by the time that he was about six years old, he was able to walk without his walker. And he had depth perception where he could use both eyes and he could keep his eyes straight and he could see depth perception. So, you know, by that time he was in first and second grade he really fit in very well with the other kids in the classroom and he continued to do well at school and when he was then 16 years old I measured his vision and I made glasses for his distance viewing and we got his vision to be 20 over 60. And that's really important because at 2060, you are allowed to operate a car. So we got him driver's training in the whole bit and he earned his driver's license. It was, it was such a wonderful thing. And I remember his dad came in and his mom, they came in together and they were so proud because he wanted to show all of us his driver's license. And so what actually has happened, though, is that I received the email from his mother and she says, you know, Dr. Bill, I just appreciate all of this work that all of you folks have done for him. And I appreciate the fact that he has the vision where he can use it and do many different things just like everyone else. But she asked me, how long does he have to have this vision? I said, what do you mean? She says, yes, how long will he have his vision for two more years or until he's 30 or when when is he going to go back and go blind again and I had never thought of that but it was her understanding that his vision would return to the way that it was when he was born and I said no Vision is a learned and developed skill. And all of this work that we have done, it has resulted in the connections of the brain to different parts of the brain so that he now has this kind of vision. And as long as he keeps using his vision, his vision is going to stay this way And, you know, it may even improve a little more. But the only way that he may lose vision and go backwards is A, if he is involved in a serious accident or B, he gets a very serious eye disease somehow or c) if he just stops using his vision, if for some reason he blindfolds himself for three years, his vision could then reduce. But I don't see him doing any of these types of things. So he will continue to have vision. And that made Mom so happy and Her husband was with her and he didn't put it into her face like, honey, I've been telling you this. I've been telling you this. But after he took the phone and we spoke privately and he says, I've been trying to explain this to her, Dr. Bill, but she just was under the impression that Donnie would become blind at some point in time and she felt so guilty about working to improve his vision because it's going to be so difficult for him when he goes blind. So in this situation I learned a lot that I really need to explain to these families what happens at the end as well. You know, we talk about what the family's going to have to do, and they're going to have to work with the staff from Braille Institute, and they're going to have to do these activities. But I did not explain to the mother that the vision that he gains, it will be there forever. So, this is one of those types of things for you to also remember so that we can remind families that all of these gains that we see in the child, these gains are are permanent. It is because the brain is making these connections. Does anybody else have any comments about this case, or does anybody have any questions?
0: Dr. Bales, this is Karen. I have a question. Yes. What is Dickler syndrome?
2: Boy, you you. I think that you have me on that.
0: Oh, okay, it Didn't relates it? to retinal detachment, and I don't yes. know, I've never heard of it before, so I was just curious.
2: Yes, it is It is not very common, and it is related to retinal detachment. I was partially wondering in my mind if this is also related to hearing impairment. But hey, I'm Dr. Gonna...
3: Bill, uh, um, it's Diane, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in my truck. So it's a little noisy. But I have um I work with a family and the son has um uh, and you're right, he does have hearing impairment as well. Oh, okay. So he has severe hearing impairment and definitely retinal issues. And then um he's actually um he's doing injections for I think macular edema as well. So um he, so
0: he has both the severe um, vision loss as well as severe hearing loss. Okay. Thank you, Diane. Right. That's, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. This is
1: Mackenzie. I just wanted to... I'm still here. I just wanted to say that um, I remember doing the genetic testing for my son, and they said that maybe an adult could there would be an onset of hearing loss from the... the related to the
2: retinal detachment or something like that. Well, you know, that's very interesting. I, I don't know other aspects of your son's uh, medical conditions, but I have not seen uh, situations where children who have retinal detachments that they later lose their hearing. It has only been in these rare cases of something called Stickler's Syndrome, that there is the retinal detachment and hearing impairment. So I would say that when you do go in to see the ophthalmologist, that you want to ask him to clarify that further. Or is there a need for your son to be tested right now for his hearing? Okay.
3: Okay. Thank you.
2: Do you have any any reason to believe that he doesn't hear you?
3: Um
1: no, there's no reason. Um he is now going um to more outside social activities where there's more people and I noticed he puts his hands both hands over his ears. Um but that's slowly going away as he's um, getting used to being with many, you know, the music, the kids,
0: the
3: teachers. (laughs) Right. Um, It's a lot of noise.
0: Did did the genetic testing show anything, Mackenzie?
1: No. Like, um, it just said there wasn't a specific syndrome or anything. It was a genetic mutation um, that said mm. most likely in adulthood, there'll be an onset of healing loss. And that's why I was wondering that, um, how that even related, um, in his genetic testing, they said, um, a ductus scan as well for osteoporosis, um, but I mean, from from seeing him advance extremely well with um, you know sitting up, rolling over um, his hands, his body, like um, I just, I have to ask more more questions on on that testing. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Nice it was just a question. I'm sorry if I was crying. I was just curious. Thank you. No problem. Thank you.
2: You you know, it may be, though, Mackenzie, the initial intention was that they wanted to do genetic testing to find out is this a genetic cause for the retinal detachment. And as they were doing that genetic testing, they actually happened to see that there was a genetic difference that might affect hearing later on. So, let's say if every human being had genetic testing, through those results, we would see a lot of differences in the genetics. But it does not necessarily mean that each person is going to develop these particular types of problems. Okay. yeah, talk to your ophthalmologist and and or if you would like, uh when you're with Patty, Patty might be able to take a copy of that report and then uh we could we could have someone interpret what that report is meaning.
3: Yes, thank you. Great. Did I found the
1: um it's a mitochondrial MTRN1 was found below two percent in me, not dad.
3: Just the, uh, just the, um, that is that, that's a possible one that lay
1: leads to later onset of hearing loss. Um, and my question was uh, also, do you recommend deaf blind? Services now, if that's even
3: possible later on in the future.. Let's hear
2: I personally wouldn't make any decisions on any of this until we actually spoke to somebody who is going to be able to give us the the most information about this. Okay. So I, I don't I don't at this point in time, and I heard how your son was communicating with us. He heard that you mm-hmm. were talking to us over the phone, and he then started yeah. to chatter in and such. So his ability to use hearing and understand that that's the way to uh, communicate with it, the people, it is something that he already is using. So I would not be thinking of him being in a, in a deaf-blind classroom at this point in time.
1: Okay, um, we have it here, it says the mitochondrial DNA disorder, uh, autosomal recessive osteoporosis pseudoglomia syndrome.
2: Okay, you and, know, I'm not familiar with What that,
0: is
3: it, so. syndrome? Oste- re- autosomal recessive osteoporosis pseudoglomia
2: Pseudoglomia? Yeah, I don't know that.
1: Yeah. Well, all these difficult words. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we, That's why I say I specialist because I don't know, my tongue can't say. Uh, my pal, uh, yeah, I can't. I say eye
3: specialist.
1: <laughs> 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 I can't say that word.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I think that the best thing is that we need to get the explanation from. Uh, the ophthalmologist, and then if you have not seen a hearing specialist, let's try to get an appointment there at Children's Hospital, okay?
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bell.
2: Yes. Dr. Christian, do you know any doctors who are hearing specialists at Children's Hospital L.A.? I,
3: I don't. I I
2: don't. But the other
3: thing is, depending on, I mean, we did the genetic testing. I know sometimes, like, my retinal staffer will have a geneticist from, like, talk to the parents. So, Mackenzie, maybe we can have a conversation in the next couple days and we can explore this a little bit more. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, Dan. Okay. I thought I'd call you um, either tomorrow or the next day, and we'll see what we can find out because... Um, And we can look into definitely
2: um, hearing specialists as well. Thank you. Wow, what service. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Christian. Thank you very much.
3: I'm happy to help.
2: (laughs) That's great. Uh, Does anybody else out there have any other questions? Okay, now I have another question that that was emailed to me. And this is from a mother. And she is concerned about the fact that her child is wearing glasses at this very young age. Her child is six months and is wearing glasses. And she says, you know, my daughter has been prescribed glasses. And to me, the glasses look like they are so strong already. Will this actually hurt her vision by her wearing these strong glasses because her eyes will become lazier? Now that is an excellent, excellent question. And there's a lot of truth to that. Now, one of the things is that when we look at the way that different eye doctors will prescribe glasses for a child, there's different techniques that will be used. Now, ophthalmologists, who are the medical doctors and who are the surgeons, they are usually trained to use eye drops put eye drops in the eyes and to paralyze the muscle of the iris so that it's easier to look inside the eye. And that makes it also fast and easier to measure a glasses prescription. On the other hand, optometrists, they are not trained to use eye drops when you're measuring a child for glasses. But they will use the eye drops when they're going to look inside the eye to diagnose a disease. And when you put the eye drops in the eye, it is going to result in you measuring the highest prescription that that child may need. So most children have a condition that is called farsightedness. And farsightedness, also called hyperopia, hyperopia. It means that the eyes are focused very far away. If you were to really see where the eyes are focused, you're going to say, Wow, their focus way beyond the distance of those mountains. Their focus really far away. And the reason that most children's eyes are hyperopic like that is because their eyes are very small. The length from the front to the back of the eye it's not adult like yet but what we do know is that every year the child's eyes are going to grow and as the child's eye grows the amount of farsightedness it gets better So what we often will say is that it is often very important to not prescribe the full-strength power of glasses for an infant. If we do prescribe the full strength, the muscles that do focusing for the eye, they probably will get lazier. And as the child grows older, we might find that we are prescribing stronger and stronger and stronger glasses for this child. And then it looks like this child is wearing Coke bottle glasses. I mean, they look terrible. So we often will recommend that when we're prescribing glasses for a child, we're going to prescribe a partial prescription. Let's not give them the full strength of medicine. Let's allow them to still use their muscles and to develop those muscles. Now, there are certain situations in which we will give a full strength prescription for far And if the child has crossed eyes, when the child is not wearing glasses, we will prescribe as much power to straighten the eyes. We could straighten the eyes, in most cases, just by using glasses, and this avoids the need for surgery. And then as these kids get a little bit older, three months later, we're going to reduce the power a little bit and let the child use his or her own muscles to keep the eyes straight. So that technique works very, very well to get the child to see better and to have straighter eyes and then as the child gets older, we weaken it, weaken, and weaken the glasses. And in many, many cases, the child is not wearing glasses at all anymore, usually by the time that they're about seven. Now, another case, though, where we might prescribe a full-strength glasses for farsightedness is if we see a child who has very, very blurred vision. And when we're looking at the eye, we find that there really isn't real severe damage to the retina. It allows us to understand that most of the reason that the child isn't seeing well is because the brain did not receive stimulation. So we could use those very strong glasses that will magnify the picture and send the picture to the brain very quickly. And we will use those for a few months at a time. And if we then see that the vision improves, we'll then weaken the glasses just a bit and will continue to do that cycle of weakening the prescription when the sight improves. And in that way, the child does not become very, very dependent and have to wear stronger and stronger and stronger glasses all the time. Okay? Now, do any of you have any other questions from your parent or other families you're working with?
0: Yeah, we just have about three more minutes, Doctor Bill, so
2: Okay. Karen, do you wanna make any other announcements then?
0: Um, just uh check in with us, uh, your child development consultant and hold on a second I'm see what next month's topic is. Um, but we appreciate Mackenzie you coming and speaking to Doctor Bill. And also, if you ever have any other questions, you know, you have Diane, Dr. Diane Christian and you have, of course, Patty that will be more than happy to help you or they can get you in touch with Dr. Bill.
2: Yes. Anytime, Mackenzie. Okay? Anytime.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Bill.
2: Oh, it's our pleasure.
0: I can't believe we're going into June. uh <laughs> I know, and this is, I I don't know where the year is going. (laughs) Anyway, retinopathy of prematurity is next month, and so um, we encourage you to attend next month's training. Also, um, you know, we have information and training on our website for families. Um, I'm sure Patty has directed you towards those as well, Mackenzie. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Bill. We really appreciate all the information. Oh, it's
2: my pleasure. Thank I you. I wish
0: everyone a very nice evening.
2: Likewise. Okay, good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.